This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia Thurlow. Today, I'm so excited to have Dr. Eric Balkavage, the owner and founder of Rejuven, a functional medicine clinic in Chadsford, Pennsylvania. He is a nationally recognized speaker and educator on various health-related topics, including thyroid physiology, biophysiology, detoxification, oxidative stress, methylation, and chronic illness. He's a certified nutrition specialist, a certified functional medicine practitioner, board certified in integrative medicine, along with being a licensed chiropractor in Pennsylvania. He is the co-host of Thyroid Answers podcast, for which I was a guest on and enjoyed our interactions. The podcast focuses on answering the pressing questions from those suffering with chronic hypothyroid symptoms that they can't get answered elsewhere. You can also find him his educational Thyroid Thursday videos on Vimeo and YouTube, and he's made it his mission to change the way medicine looks at hypothyroidism. He is the co-author of the soon-released, soon-to-be-released book, Thyroid Debacle, co-written with Kelly Halderman, an MD, addressing this problems with current allopathic and functional medicine approaches to hypothyroidism, as well as the solutions to restoring thyroid physiology. Welcome, Eric. It's so nice to have you here this morning. Well, thank you. Happy to be here. Well, you know, I always think background is really significant and profound. And so what kind of got you so interested in, in thyroid physiology, thyroid management, uh, looking at the way that thyroid is managed presently in kind of traditional Western medicine? What got you so interested in this? Uh, well, I had really no I, no interest in it originally, um, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, uh, but I, I got a... Uh, I got a call from uh, my brother who mm-hmm. said, hey, uh, his wife had been diagnosed with hypothyroidism, um, fibroids, and uh, iron, and iron deficiency. Mm-hmm. And so the solution was, you know, hysterectomy, uh, lifetime of thyroid medications and iron supplementation. And um, at that point in time, I had been a medical technologist before going off to chiropractic mm-hmm. school. And um, at that point in time, I said to my brother, like, this is outside what I do. I don't really know much about it. He said, yeah, but you'll figure it out. And so, you know, when your big brother tells you to, you'll figure it out for him, you figure out, (laughs) figure it out. So I dove into functional medicine. I dove into thyroid physiology, started taking, you know, all the courses and learning from the kind of the, the guys who are really, the people who are really doing the, most of the education at the time, Mm -hmm. Tatis Karazian was probably, Mm -hmm. um, the man at the time that I Mm -hmm. started getting into it. And uh, you start looking at what she was going through and she was kind of told that there was no kind of relationship between her fibroids, her her hypothyroidism Mm -hmm. and her iron dysregulation. I just couldn't, just couldn't believe that. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we started taking a look at how they were testing and then seeing what was going on in functional medicine, you're like, wait a minute, maybe she's got an autoimmune condition. Mm -hmm. Um, We argued about whether what the relevance was of that was in in those days i was just i probably more angry than really understanding mm-hmm. the, the the medical paradigm about it and i'm like hey she she's got hashimotos and they're like who cares it doesn't really matter uh mm-hmm. because if she's got an autoimmune condition it's going to destroy her thyroid gland anyway uh it's there's nothing you can do and we're going to put her on thyroid medication so we're mm-hmm. not going to run any additional tests there's nothing else to do and to me 
you know, taking some a woman's uterus and ovaries out in her late twenties to, and then putting our thyroid medication and just saying, okay, you're anemic and you're going to need an iron and not asking a better question. Like, why is this going on? And mm-hmm. what's the long-term implication just drove me nuts. And so in the process of working with her and, and helping her, I started talking to my chiropractic patients about what I was learning. You know, mm-hmm. it's just kind of small talk while we're taking care of them. And I, started realizing how many of my patients had been diagnosed with hypothyroidism, Mm -hmm. how many of them were still struggling with chronic hypothyroid symptoms, despite uh, being diagnosed as euthyroid because Mm -hmm. they're what we call biochemical euthyroid because their thyroid hormone normalized their TSH. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized what we're doing here is not right. And then the more literature you look and read, look at and read, you realize that Patients are frustrated. Mm-hmm. Physicians are frustrated because people continue to have persistent and chronic hypothyroid symptoms despite biochemical euthyroidism. And it's mm-hmm. pretty much swept under the rug. Like, hey, as long as we normalize one, one test, mm-hmm. uh, which we can get way into that if you want, but as long as we normalize one test, then everything else must work. Mm-hmm. And it totally ignores the impact of what's happening inside our cells, which mm-hmm. is where all the reaction occurs. And so you wind up having mostly women being told that, you know, you, your TSH is now normal. You, the problem is you just eat too much. You don't exercise enough. You're just, mm-hmm. just depressed. Take this antidepressant, work out harder, starve yourself. And that'll be the solution. And really what it causes is a, a greater problem. Or if I guess if you had an a progressive allopathic physician, they would say, well, we'll just drive TSH as low as possible and tell the patient, look, your TSH is almost non-existent at this point. There's no way you could be hypothyroid because you're now almost hyperthyroid. There's no way you can be gaining weight. Mm-hmm. And they don't understand the physiology of, th- of thyroid hormone that the lower you drive that TSH, the more you deactivate thyroid hormone peripherally. So mm-hmm. you just have a lot of frustrated people and then and you just kind of look at it and you go, this is really just a, a debacle. I mean, it's just a mess. And we have a lot of people struggling and suffering, not only with thyroid signaling issues, but the ramification of that altered, altered thyroid signaling process, like diabetes, like obesity. Mm-hmm. And these people just aren't getting help. So uh, now it's really pretty much the mainstay of what I do is try and help educate my, my peers, my patients and help them recover from not just thyroid physiology problems, because I don't think the thyroid physiology is actually the problem. Um, but what, what we talk about, and we talked about on, on your podcast is excessive, persistent, chronic cell stress, which is at the root, in my opinion, of almost every health condition we have, including hypothyroidism. Well, and I think it's so important. I know that when I was in my 20s as a young nurse practitioner, I saw a lot of women in their early 40s that were stuck and they were probably all in perimenopause. And, you know, they would they would have these conversations because I was just one of those very nice nurse practitioners. I was very compassionate and I would be listening to their conversations and they would say, I'm having trouble sleeping. Um, all of a sudden I've developed a bunch of food sensitivities. I've gained a bunch of weight. And everyone keeps telling me it has to be my thyroid, but my doctor's telling me or my healthcare provider is telling me it isn't my thyroid. And I think about those, those lost opportunities and women who 
and it can be men too, but women seem to be disproportionately impacted by hypothyroidism more so than men, you know, lost opportunities to really make a big impact on their lives because much to your point, they get put on antidepressants, they get put on, you know, I remember I, I've been in, in healthcare for such a long time. I remember the FenFen days. I mean, people were put on Fentermine. I mean, all these things because, you know, they, they, they had to work out harder. They had to eat less food. They, you know, they, they were really trying to do all the things that we were suggesting to them, but recognizing that it's so much deeper. I think, you know, the thyroid is really the canary in the coal mine. It's really, you know, signaling to us as individuals that there's so much more going on um, behind the scenes. So for those that aren't familiar with what hypothyroidism actually represents, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about primary hypothyroidism and helping us kind of differentiate that from other types of underactive thyroid. So when we talk about, from a medical standpoint, they talk about primary hypothyroidism, which is a condition where the thyroid gland, that butterfly-shaped gland in the middle of your neck, um, is not producing sufficient levels of the two primary hormones, T4 and T3. Uh, It is diagnosed by an elevated TSH and a lab low T4 or free T4, depending on what your doctor runs. And the thought process is in kind of the allopathic thought process about primary hypothyroidism is there's really no problem with thyroid physiology in the body unless the gland can't make enough thyroid hormone. And I guess the analogy for the, for the listeners is that would be like saying your car, there's no way that your car would not run appropriately unless there's no gas in the car. Mm -hmm. If there's plenty of gas in the car, it has to run appropriately. It has to run perfectly. And we all know that, well, that doesn't really make sense because I, right. <laughs> I, I could have a bad engine. I could have mm-hmm. bad spark plugs. I could have a bad alternator. I could have a bad fuel filter. Mm-hmm. Because so many reasons why it doesn't run well. Um, and so that's primary hypothyroidism. And, and again, allopathic medicine says, hey, there's not a thyroid problem until that occurs. Mm-hmm. And there's multiple problems with that thought process, which we can get into in a little bit. Then there's this... No, there's another phase that they call, it's called subclinical hypothyroidism, which is that TSH is elevated, but T4 is still normal. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of like the gray zone. You're not normal, but you don't have, you're not full out gland destruction yet. So it's subclinical. And in that situation, in allopathic medicine, it's kind of a watch and wait scenario. We're going to watch and wait to see if it gets better on its own or we're going to watch and wait if it goes to full-blown thyroid dysfunction and primary hypothyroidism. Mm -hmm. And then there's another type of hypothyroidism, which I think is the most prevalent form of hypothyroidism. I think it starts before glandular, before subclinical. And that is what, what I call, and what's been talked about in the literature is cellular or tissue hypothyroidism. And what that means is there's insufficient levels of T3, which is the primary active thyroid hormone, reaching the nuclear and mitochondrial receptors inside your cells. And that the the most simple point, if you don't have enough T3 getting to the receptors inside your cells, that is what's going to cause hypothyroidism. Doesn't matter how, how healthy your gland is, it doesn't matter how much T4, T3 is in your bloodstream. It's about how much T3 gets to the receptors in your cells, which is what determines if you have hypothyroid symptoms or hyperthyroid symptoms for that matter. Um, and that's virtually ignored 
In mm -hmm. allopathic medicine, it's believed that as long as there's enough T4 in the bloodstream and as long as the thyroid gland is working, it has to essentially run downhill and get into the cell. And we know for the last 20 to 25 years that almost every cell and tissue type has the ability to self-regulate what happens to T4 and T3, whether it comes into the cell, whether it gets converted to an active form or whether it gets converted to a deactivated form and it's virtually ignored. So I look at cellular hypothyroidism, subclinical hypothyroidism, and primary hypothyroidism as essentially a spectrum of hypothyroidism. And it typically, from what I've seen in 20 some years of doing this, it's typically a progression from cellular to subclinical to primary hypothyroidism over time. Now, the other thing that I didn't talk about, and there's probably a bunch of listeners going, yeah, but, but what about Hashimoto's? I mean, yeah. I mean, what about that? Well, I think that Hashimoto's fits in, starts or fits in between that cellular hypothyroid state and that subclinical hypothyroid state. Mm -hmm. We know that 90% of the cases, or we believe that 90% of the cases of hypothyroidism are caused by Hashimoto's, an autoimmune mm -hmm. process going on. Mm -hmm. And the question is, when does that start? Does it start when the gland is healthy? Does it start only when the gland has become dysfunctional? Hashimoto's, the immune or autoimmune attack, starts right, right at the beginning. As soon as the body starts to get those danger signals, the gland starts under attack. And Hashimoto's and Hashimoto's-induced hypothyroidism is a process that usually occurs over weeks, months, or years, not like mm -hmm. an instantaneous thing. So I would say those would be the easiest ways to look at hypothyroidism in that spectrum. Yeah. And so for those individuals that are impacted by hypothyroidism along that spectrum, if they don't have Hashimoto's, if they don't have Graves, what are some of the other, I mean, I know the answer to this question, but I know that it'll be really interesting for other people to consider this. What are some of the other reasons why people can develop this underactive thyroid? beyond just the autoimmune piece? The gland itself, you mean? Mm -hmm. So there's many factors that can inhibit the thyroid gland from working appropriately. One of those is inflammation. Mm -hmm. One of those is ex ex excessive estrogen, toxins, iodine deficiency. Um, there's a, a number of factors, but if we keep it kind of on the spectrum of, okay, what could happen, what could cause mm -hmm. destruction? Medicines definitely can have an impact. Toxins, iodine deficiency, infection. I think I got most of the biggies mm -hmm. um, that, that are going to create direct impact on the thyroid gland. Um, and obviously radiation, surgery, those types of things can create issues as well. Yeah, because I was curious because, you know, my N of a couple hundred since I've I've been kind of functioning autonomously as an NP is that I'm seeing a lot of women late 30s, early 40s that all of a sudden develop hypothyroidism, but they've also got concomitant, you know, they've got the inflammation piece going on. Either they're drinking too much alcohol or maybe they had metal amalgams and they've got some mercury offsetting the thyroid receptors. Uh, there can be so many things that happen. And so I think it's really important for the listeners to understand, yes, the bulk of you know uh, glandular hypothyroidism is related to um, autoimmune issues, but there are these other things that can contribute or even I would imagine would exacerbate 
the symptoms that you would see clinically. Yeah, and I would say that when we talk about auto, it's it's driven by autoimmunity, but what drives the autoimmunity? Mm-hmm. It's some level of excessive cell stress, and whether that's mm-hmm. from physical things, chemical things, emotional things, environmental toxins, uh, emotional stress, whether it's mm-hmm. disrupted sleep patterns, whether it's poor breathing patterns, the stress is what drives the autoimmunity. So mm-hmm. if somebody had a toxicity, if they have heavy metal toxicity, that's going to be an excessive cell stress, whether it's happening away from the thyroid gland mm-hmm. or it's happening in the thyroid gland, both situations could still be the driver of the immune attack or the autoimmune attack um, at the thyroid gland. So I don't think we can separate those two things like, hey, we have estrogen overload. Um you could have that separately aside from having an immune attack on the process. You could have iodine deficiency, but once you start getting into toxicity, heavy metal overload, I think that really is becomes part of the uh, immune or autoimmune process as well in many cases. Not all of them, but many. Absolutely. I, I just have started to, and that was why I kind of pivoted from cardiology, ER medicine to really focusing on female hormonal health because I was seeing women who were just stuck. And so it's probably a good pivot to talk about, to pivot and talk about why are so many people unhappy with the current kind of traditional Western medicine approach to thyroid management? I mean, like, like we've talked about, I think that, uh, you know, and, and I was definitely guilty of this myself. I didn't know any better, but when I was checking thyroid function, I would check two labs and then I would call it a day. And then I would say, okay, well, you need to go see the endocrinologist or you've got to see your primary care provider, because from my perspective, I don't think there's an issue, but now I know so much better, but what are some of the things that you're seeing? And clearly you're seeing this because you're in this space, but what are some of the common concerns or complaints that people are coming to you about, about more traditional uh, perspectives? I'd say, you know, when people are coming to see me, despite having, so you got two, two groups of people. You have the people that have already been diagnosed as hypothyroid. They're put on thyroid hormone medication and they are, their, their TSH normalizes what they call biochemical euthyroidism. And yet they're still tired, they're still fatigued, mm-hmm. they're still constipated, their libido is still in the tank, and they still have all the symptoms. And they're told that, well, those symptoms you experienced when you had an elevated TSH and T4, when you, when you had an untreated thyroid condition, those were probably hypothyroid symptoms. But now that we normalize your TSH, those are no longer hypothyroid symptoms. Mm-hmm. They must be caused by an adrenal problem, a stress mm-hmm. problem, a, an overeating problem, an underactivity mm-hmm. problem. Um, and that just doesn't sit well with people because you, the longer you're in this, in, in this, you know, business, you start to realize that the people that then follow that advice actually wind up feeling worse. Mm -hmm. So they'll leave the doctor's office being told that, Hey, I'm eating too much. Okay. So I'll just eat like small meals every, you know, every couple hours and I'll, I'll have this calorie restriction model and that should help. And they realize that, hey, I'm only eating two or 300 calories four or five times a day and I'm gaining weight and they can't mm-hmm. figure it out. Why would I be gaining weight? Well, you're creating a starvation signal in your brain. Mm-hmm. So your brain's like, hey, I'm never getting satisfied, satiety. I'm never getting satiety. So now we've added starvation to mm-hmm. a stress trigger, which creates a problem. They already have this excessive stress overload in their body that's driving this thyroid condition to begin with. And if a doctor says, well, you just need to exercise more, 
Now they're on the treadmill doing 60 minutes high, higher intensity than they should be driving another excessive mm-hmm. stress response mm-hmm. that they can't recover from. Um, and so the advice that they've been told exercise harder, mm-hmm. eat more or eat less actually backfires. backfires. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a huge frustration for people. And they're, they, they know that the this, this symptoms, these are the exact same symptoms mm-hmm. that were used to diagnose them with hypothyroidism. But now because one marker TSH has normalized, somehow they no longer are important. Um, the other group of people that come and see me are the people that read blogs. They look up their symptoms. They say, mm-hmm. I'm overweight. I eat a pretty clean diet. Uh, I have no libido. I'm constipated. My hair's falling out. My eyebrows are on. Uh, I have all the hypothyroid symptoms, but my doctor keeps saying I don't have a problem because my TSH is normal. Right. What's wrong with me? What, what could it be? I've tried dieting. I've tried all this stuff and nothing works. Uh, those are the people that are, I think, are really, really frustrated because their family members, their spouses start to look at them like. At some point, we've all been sold a big fat lie. It's called the protein misconception. So starting in the 1980s, we all believed that more protein equated to more muscle growth. And I'm here to tell you it's a big misconception. This has a great deal to do that our body can only absorb protein that's broken down into smaller building blocks called amino acids. It doesn't matter if you're consuming 30 grams of protein or 300 grams of protein. If you don't have a sufficient supply of enzymes to digest the protein, your muscles will ultimately be unable to use these as vital building blocks. That's why it's crucial you take a high quality digestive enzyme. The one I trust and use myself is called Masszymes by Bi Optimizers. Masszymes is a full spectrum enzyme formula with more protease than any other commercially available product. With five different forms of protease. Plus, it contains all the other key enzymes you need for optimal digestion. If you're experiencing bloating, gas, or digestive distress, a contributing factor can be that your body is no longer producing as much digestive enzymes. And you can try Masszymes today, risk-free. They have a 365-day full money-back guarantee and is the gold standard in the industry. Go to biooptimizers.com slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting-edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, exercise, sleep, and where you are in your menstrual cycle in real time. And by pairing a continuous glucose monitor with their app and expert nutritional guidance, NutriSense can help you reach your health goals. And the best part is it's not just a program where they send you the CGM and you have to figure it out on your own. Each subscription plan includes one month of free expert nutritionist support. Your nutritionist will work with you one-on-one interpreting your data 
and providing customized advice to help you reach your health goals. The last time I had my CGM on, my registered dietitian and I troubleshooted over some specific concerns that I had. And whether you're aiming to lose weight, stabilize your energy, or just feel better overall, NutriSense offers the guidance and support you need. And lasting sustainable change takes time and can be achieved through a longer term subscription. That's why I encourage my patients and clients to consider three, six, or 12-month subscriptions where it's actually less expensive and allows you to not only achieve your goals, but also to ensure that you stick to your healthy lifestyle for the long term. As I've mentioned before, I have found the CGMs I have used through NutriSense to be incredibly insightful, specifically to carbohydrate tolerance. I would not have known that plantains spiked my blood sugar without this information. It's also been hugely helpful for tailoring to workouts and sleep quality. And so for me, even though I am metabolically healthy, I find the insights to be particularly helpful to tailor my lifestyle changes to my blood sugar. Visit NutriSense.io slash EWP and use the code E. WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Like they're crazy. Mm-hmm. Like you're just, you know, you're just depressed, right? Or you're just crazy. Your doctor said there's nothing wrong with you. I'm looking at the test, TSH. It looks, it is in normal. You don't have a thyroid problem. Mm-hmm. And what they, what they don't realize, and you've come to realize as you make that transition from mm-hmm. allopathic to functional medicine is one test, TSH, cannot possibly give us a clear understanding of thyroid, this complex thyroid physiology in the body. And for the listeners, TSH is thyroid thyrotrophin stimulating hormone. It's the primary screening test your doctors will use to determine if you have a thyroid problem. And it's thought by some uh, that it is the best and sometimes the only test. And there's actually a paper that I think is titled that uh, test that's needed to assess thyroid physiology. And the, the answer to that is maybe. If somebody is what we call a homeostatic, low stress state, right? TSH may represent the physiology of of thyroid hormone in the body. Unfortunately, that's not the vast majority of people that are coming in with chronic, uh, they're overweight, they're tired, they're fatigued. They're not in a homeostatic state. They're in what we call an allostatic or excessive stress state. And so in that situation, TSH is no longer a valid marker. Uh, One of the most, so so some of the key points that would kind of help kind of emphasize the why it's not an important marker. The number one problem we have in this country and many countries is chronic low-grade inflammation. Yeah. And chronic low-grade inflammation, guess what it does to TSH? It suppresses it. Mm-hmm. So it actually hides a hypothyroid condition. So if the number one problem, I think I don't think there's anybody that would argue that point, right? Mm-hmm. If, if low-grade low inflammation is the number one problem people struggle with in this country, and it suppresses the one test that allopathic medicine is using to determine the function of thyroid physiology, how valid of a marker could it actually be, mm-hmm. right? The second point is, is that TSH was, is thought to be an early in, can be used as an early indicator when there's thyroid gland dysfunction. Well, let's think about that. There's literature and research that shows that TSH does not rise above lab range 
until 90, greater than 90% of the thyroid gland has been destroyed. So is that truly an early indicator of dysfunction of the gland? Or is that the end stage mm-hmm. of dysfunction of a thyroid gland, right? So again, that's a second point. Like, we're going to wait. Is that what we want to do? We want to wait until the gland is over 90% destroyed to be, take action. That's not, that makes no sense to me. And then the third issue is it's probably tied, you know, we see with conditions, but we, diabetes is a major problem in this country and other countries, correct? Correct. And the number one medication we prescribe for diabetes is like metformin, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a lot of problems with, that I have with with. I think metformin can be good. It can be bad. It raises cortisol, which can be a problem. Um, but metformin, which we're giving for people who have diabetes or pre-diabetes or insulin resistance or blood sugar regulation problems, suppresses TSH. So we've got inflammation suppresses TSH. We have the probably one of the top drugs we prescribe in this country suppresses TSH. How can we use TSH as a valid marker of one test as the valid marker of thyroid physiology. And when you dig even a little bit deeper, it thyroid hormone inside your cells is needed for every one of what we call the glucose transport molecules to bring glucose into or into the cells of the body, whether they're insulin glucose transporters or basal glucose transporters. So like when you're not eating and you want glucose inside the cell, that glucose has to be transported in that requires T3 inside the cell. If you want to eat and then use insulin to bring glucose inside the cell, that's called a GLUT4 transporter. That requires T3 inside the cell. So it's almost impossible to have insulin resistance, prediabetes or diabetes without having a cellular hypothyroid condition first. Yes. So what we're doing is just lunacy. And there's what, nine or 10 other tests that can be looked at to, to look at just different aspects of thyroid physiology, and they're virtually all ignored. And I think that's really important for people to hear. You know, metabolic inflexibility is what we do not want. We want our, ba- our bodies to be able to function properly. And if you're listening and hearing the interrelationship between active thyroid hormone and be- being able to allow for your body to use insulin properly, it explains why we are seeing rampant cases of hypothyroidism, rampant cases of insulin resistance and diabetes in this country, along with metabolic inflexibility. So let's touch on, you know, uh, the, the tests that you consider to be the gold standard with regard to really looking at the thyroid. Well, I think we have to take a look at an air show going on or something. Um, so when we take a look at thyroid physiology, I don't think the number one issue we have is we don't have the perfect test to look at thyroid hormone inside our cells. So that's a problem. So we mm-hmm. have to use proxies. And we look at proxies like we look at reverse T3. We can look at T3. But we really must look at the whole thyroid panel mm-hmm. to really evaluate what's going on with thyroid physiology. You can't look at one test and say, okay, thyroid physiology is good. Some people would say, hey, reverse T3 may be the most important test because we want to see if it's deactivating it. But if I run reverse T3 and I don't know what my T4 or free T4 levels are, 
my reverse T3 could be totally normal mm-hmm. or could be low, but I don't know what the relevance of that mm-hmm. is, right? So it could be, hey, your reverse T3 is normal. Okay. But, and so for the listeners, T4, which is the the dominant thyroid hormone, that's, it's kind of like the, it's, it's dominant thyroid hormone that's circulating in the bloodstream. It's the dominant one that the thyroid gland makes. It's a, we call it a pro-hormone. It's not quite ready for mm-hmm. most of the action. Most of the action inside the cells is done by T3. And your body can take that T4 and it can either activate it to T3 or it can deactivate it to something called reverse T3. So if you, some people say, well, if you have high levels of reverse T3, that's the, your body's deactivating it. I would say that as well but we have to know what our T4 levels are to be able, and we need to really know, need to know what our T3 levels are uh, and the rest of the panel to really assess that one test. Cause I don't know if it's normal and appropriate or normal and inappropriate or abnormal and appropriate mm-hmm. or abnormal and inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So you could have, if it's normal, reverse T3 is normal, let's say it's 12. What was my T4? What was the thing that it converted into? If my T4 or free T4 levels are low, then it, I, then I, I'm not going to make a lot of reverse T3 because I don't have the starting material to make it. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to look at a couple things. We want to look at where's our TSH. We want to look at T4. We want to look at total, T, total T4. And we want to look at total T3. Both, I think, are important. Allopathic medicine will often say T3 is less important because it's fairly stable and T3 levels uh, are, are minute compared to T4, but they're all there for a reason. Mm-hmm. There should be in a certain ratio. If I'm seeing low, higher levels of T4 and lower levels of T3, I'm probably not getting good conversion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanna look at those. I wanna see what the free hormones are. And people are like, what's the difference between total and free? The free hormones, are, it was what's available to get into your cells. Mm-hmm. If, you don't, if you have normal total values, but low free values, then you're not getting, you don't have the ability to get thyroid hormone into the cell. It's like, if I, if I'm the Uber driver and I drive you to the mall and I don't let you out of, of the, of the Uber to go into the mall, you know, you're not free to go shop. Right. (laughs) So you have to get, you have to have, you have to have optimal levels of free hormone. And then we also want to look at free hormones to find out if they're too high. If they're if they're too high, then it should tell an astute practitioner that, man, these values are really high. Is are the cells potentially resisting the mm-hmm. hormone from coming in for some reason? And then we want to look at definitely want to look at reverse T3 because that's the deactivated form of T4. We want to look at potentially T3 uptake to find out how that kind of correlates with our free hormones and how much availability is there. Uh, there's TPO antibodies, thyroglobulin antibodies, there's TSI antibodies, uh, which are antibodies to the receptors of the, of the thyroid gland. Um, but there's a whole host of them. You can even look at thyroid binding globulin directly if you want. So there's a ton of markers to take a look at just to assess thyroid physiology. But again, I don't even think you can assess thyroid physiology tests without the rest of a comprehensive metabolic panel. Because if we know that reverse T3 is elevated for some reason, we want to find out, is there correlation with that? Like Mm -hmm. what would, is there inflammation? If inflammation is the biggest driver to convert T4 into reverse T3, are there inflammatory markers on my comprehensive blood panel that would confirm that? If you don't run them, you can't confirm it. Mm-hmm. 
if you want to confirm that I've got cellular hypothyroidism, that I do have lack of thyroid hormone getting into the cell despite a normal TSH, we want to look at the rest of the comprehensive blood panel to get an indication or a verification of that. Mm-hmm. So what could we look at? Well, we could look at fasting blood sugar. We could look at hemoglobin A1C elevations. We could look at fasting insulin elevations. We could look at, on the comprehensive blood panel, we could look at elevations of, of cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could look at elevations of LDL. We could look at elevations of VLDL. Uh, there's just... If you, but if you don't have those markers to take a look at and your doctor's A, not running a comprehensive thyroid panel and they're not running a comprehensive metabolic panel and they're only looking at one value, man, the answer is really simple. Mm-hmm. But there's just not enough. There's either is not enough hormone or there is too much hormone. Super simple, prescribe a drug and we normalize one test. But physiology is way more complex than that. I'm sure by now you've heard me or others talk about the benefits of using CBD oil, and I'm telling you that it works. Direct CBD Online provides natural alternatives to prescription painkillers and medications. They sell only the highest quality CBD oils, edibles, creams, and more to help you on your search for natural well being. And they strive to assist you in making informed decisions about your health and the products and supplements you use. If you've been thinking about trying out CBD, I highly encourage you to use direct CBD online. Click the link in the description to get started today. And I think that's really important that, uh, you know, the farther we get away from our education and and I am a full proponent of being a lifelong learner and, and irrespective of how long you've been a practicing clinician, we always have to be investing back into our knowledge base. I think that it's really critical that you're working with someone that understands thyroid really, really well. And I say this from personal experience about five years ago when I smacked into the wall of perimenopause. And let me be very clear, I went to a very good university and I'd like to think that I I stay on top of research, but obviously not working in the female hormonal health sphere. When I hit the wall, my thyroid also tanked. And it was only because I worked, I still work with a very talented functional medicine provider who's very good with thyroid. And so uh, of course, I tried to tough it out, and there are probably listeners here who have been not amenable to being on medication to treat their thyroid. I would encourage you not to be like I I was. I was very stubborn and decided that I just needed more cofactors. That would make things better. So needless to say, when I went on medication, it's like a light bulb went on. I mean, I finally felt um, alert and cognizant, and all the symptoms I had been experiencing got a whole lot better. But one thing that I think is really important to talk about is you know, there are a lot of medications to treat. So, you know, if someone's properly diagnosed you and they've done the proper tests and they're looking at what is contributing to this, there are obviously many schools of thought uh, in terms of how to treat hypothyroidism. And I know there are synthetic versus non-synthetic varieties of medication. And and I would love to get your your thoughts. I'm I'm fairly certain we're very aligned on this um, given our discussion, but I think it's important because Synthroid, which is a synthetic form of T4, uh, almost every single patient in cardiology was on Synthroid, I mean, without a doubt, and certainly if you were a female. And so there are inherent, um, you know, negative things that can come along with being on uh, Synthroid and, and people still suffering and still having symptoms and being told their TSH is fine. And it's not the medication, it's something else that they're doing. But I would love to get your take on that because I would imagine there are many, many people that are listening that are uh, on thyroid uh, medication right now and, and would love your take on that. Yeah. So 
there's multiple points to talk about there. One of the first things I think is really important is, is that I'm not, although it may sound like I'm, I'm bashing allopathic medicine, I'm not. I think there's a huge place for allopathic medicine. Absolutely. If you get diagnosed with primary hypothyroidism and you've lost 90% of your thyroid gland and you don't have much thyroid hormone in the system, you need some thyroid hormone. Mm -hmm. Okay, So that's really important for people to understand. As you said, it can be a thing that turns the light bulb on. The mm -hmm. problem, and if your gland is the only issue and all the downstream thyroid physiology works, it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. The lights are going to come on, constipation is going to go away. <laughs> Hypothyroid, you know, all the hypothyroid symptoms are going to go away. You're going to feel a ton better. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, but if the problem didn't start in the thyroid gland and there's problems with downstream um, thyroid physiology, you're going to have a short term benefit. Mm -hmm. And then you're going to ride what I call, you know, the, the roller coaster of trying to, You'll have a, that short period, three months, six months, maybe of what we call the honeymoon period, right? Where you feel great because now you have some thyroid hormone in the system. And then you're going to start to ride the roller coaster. Well, my symptoms are up, they're down. And your docs are going to try and probably try and manipulate thyroid hormone doses, mm -hmm. right? To try and fix your signs and symptoms. They may try and change the type of thyroid hormone. So I was giving T, I was giving Synthroids. Let me try Levothyroxine. Let me try... Mm -hmm armor. Let me try just T3 only. And there's a lot of discussion and argument about which one's the right one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, should we give Synthroid? Is that the same thing as Levothyroxine? And the, you you probably know this really well. There's a huge discussion about whether generics are the same thing mm -hmm. that non-generics are. Uh, and that's probably a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> but um, but there are there's probably some better versions of T4 therapy if it's if that's appropriate. There's things like armor and glandular or T4, T3 combos that are that may be a better fit for mm -hmm. a lot of people. Uh, I'm a little leery, definitely, of T3 only therapy mm -hmm. for a lot of people. And people, sometimes people give me a hard time about that. But I think the issue is this. For the vast majority of people, if we look at thyroid physiology from my window, from my bias, that I think problems start in the cell, excessive cell stress triggers a cell danger response. And part of that cell danger response is to actively slow down metabolism mm -hmm. inside the cell. If we look at it from that perspective, um, if that cell danger response to slow down the cell, and I think that's part of that cell danger response is the release of things called DAMPs and PAMPs, which then activate the immune system, which then can trigger thyroid destruction and Hashimoto's and eventually primary hypothyroidism. So if you look at it from that window, it, 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 some thyroid hormone back into the system can help some tissues function. Mm -hmm. But if this danger response is still going on, after a while, it won't matter what the thyroid hormone mm -hmm. medication is because the cells in the, in the body are still working to actively deactivate thyroid hormone and slow metabolism down. And I think for some people... I'm sure many of your listeners have been through this. Like I started with Synthroid. We increased my dose, decreased my dose. I didn't do better. So we tried Levothyroxine. That didn't work. So then we did Armor and we that was a little bit better, but then that mm -hmm. stopped working. And so now we're trying, I'm going to a really progressive person and they're doing multiple doses of T3 through the day, but they still have symptoms.
symptoms. And the reason for that is they still have this active cell danger response. The mm -hmm. hypothyroidism is not the problem. That's the body's protective mechanism. Mm -hmm. And so we have to get to the root issue of what's going on. As far as which form of thyroid hormones best, um, I think it really can be variable for the individual. Mm -hmm. If somebody does really well on um, on Synthroid and everything's great, fantastic. Mm -hmm. I'm okay with it. If they if they don't do well on it, and I know they maybe they have gluten issues, well, why don't we try tyrosin because that's a, a gluten free version of it. Um, if they need some T4, T3, if they do well on like a Nature Throid or an Armor, I'm all for it. But I I will say that recently I've seen a lot. A lot of people who are coming to see me that are on Nature Throid or Armor or just T3 therapy who are really struggling with some symptoms, especially anxiousness, anxiety, insomnia, mm -hmm. and and even continued weight issues, and they don't understand why. Mm -hmm. And if, if you want, I'll kind of go into why those things could potentially be a problem. I would love that because I got an email from one of my patients last night about that specifically. So... What happens is in a non-stress, that homeostatic state, the brain and the body pretty much regulate thyroid hormone the same. Mm -hmm. So for the listener, homeostasis means I need a certain amount of energy in any given day to run all the machinery of the body. And mm -hmm. I can I have that, I can make that energy, right? Allostasis means that I am not generating and can't generate enough energy to do all the things my body needs to do to maintain homeostasis. So I have to turn off or turn down some things. That's mm -hmm. like taking a dimmer switch in your kitchen, right? Mm -hmm. Or if the power went out in your house and you had to run your generator to run your house, you could only turn on the refrigerator and maybe the shower, right? right. Everything else would have to be off. And so in homeostasis, the brain and the body were pretty closely tied together. In allostasis, the successive stress response, um, the brain and the body don't regulate thyroid hormone the same, okay? So hypothalamus, the hypothalamus is a gland in the brain. And when there's excessive stress, we kind of, we increase the conversion of T4 to T3 in the brain, mm -hmm. okay, really quickly. And it takes a small amount. The, the hypothalamus is 10 times more sensitive to thyroid hormone than the peripheral tissues because of the type of receptors, 10 times more sensitive. When you saturate, so when you have diagnosed with hypothyroidism and somebody gives you thyroid hormone, T4, T3, um, or a combination of those things, the hypothalamus is quickly saturated. As soon as the hypothalamus becomes saturated, there's decreased production of something called TRH, which means there's a decreased production of something called TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone. So the gland is going to get the signal, hey, you don't need to make any more thyroid hormone. So that TSH goes down. The problem is when the hypothalamus is upregulated or saturated with thyroid hormone, it innately kicks in something called your sympathetic nervous system, which is essentially your fight or flight system, which is going to, in time, if you keep flooding the brain and driving TSH lower and lower and lower, you increase your sympathetic nervous system, which then makes you have brain fog, which then causes you to not sleep well because you're upregulating your epinephrine and, and your and norepinephrine, which is going to put you in that kind of fight or flight state. Mm -hmm. You're going to have more anxiousness, more anxiety. And then the other issue is when the brain is getting saturated with thyroid hormone, it then sends signals to the body to say, hey, we're flooded up here mm -hmm. with thyroid hormone. We got way too much. You guys 
you're going to get flooded too. So start deactivating that T4 and get rid of that enzyme de deidinase 2 that converts T4 to T3. Just mm-hmm. metabolize thing, that thing, get that out of there. So what we see is that when we have this excessive stress response still going on, we can very, very easily suppress TSH, normalize T4 in the bloodstream. The, and the lower that TSH goes, that means the more saturation we're getting of the brain. And what I'm seeing is those patients start to have more insomnia, more brain fog, and the lower the TSH goes, the harder it becomes to lose weight because their peripheral cells are getting the signal from the inf- from inflammation to deactivate T4 to reverse T3 and T3 to T2. And then the brain is sending signals to get rid of the enzyme that converts T4 to T3. And it's a double whammy. It's like the perfect storm for those people that not feel well. Yes, I, I would say that has been the case. I have one uh, particularly tricky patient and you know it's been waxing and waning trying to find the right combination. She works with a very talented functional medicine group uh, and we work on some other things. But when she messaged me last night, I was like, oh boy. I was like, we need to do some labs to kind of see what's going on. Yeah. So in those cases, and somebody asked me this the other day, they're like, so what do you use to fix the thyroid? I rarely ever need to do anything directly to provide thyroid hormone or fix the thyroid. Most patients are coming to see me already on thyroid hormone. Mm-hmm. And what we wind up doing in most cases is having them reduce the dose of their thyroid medication over time. Mm-hmm. And some, and a large percentage of them actually come off of thyroid hormone. How can that possibly be? Well, the thyroid gland turns over every five years, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if stress drove inflammation, which drove autoimmune attack on the gland, to actually types of white blood cells going and destroying the gland and you remove the stress, the thyroid gland can heal and repair. It turns over every five years. So what I never really look at the gland as the problem or if somebody need, if they, if they have low, really low levels of thyroid hormone, they need some, but I don't want to overdo it either. What I want to do and spend my time doing is, is trying to figure out what are the stressors that are impacting the peripheral system, cells mm-hmm. of the body, or the thyroid gland, what's creating that excessive cell stress. And if we can reduce that excessive cell stress, the cells start to get out of that danger response. The cells in the tissues can heal and recover. And we can see thyroid autoimmunity start to suppress. How do I know? I've been doing this for 20 years. I'm also a person who has or had Hashimoto's. So, wow. you know, and so for a lot of patients that develop Hashimoto's, they are people that eat well, they exercise regularly, and they still develop Hashimoto's. And somebody tells them, that's just your immune system's out of control. I don't believe it. In my situation, um, you know, I'm probably 10 years into helping other people with their thyroid issues. And I go to, I run my gen, my comprehensive blood panel one day, and I was mid- I was probably heavy into, I was in my 40s. And so I was. Have you guys heard about a bioactive whole food on the market with 5,000 published research studies backing it? When my oldest son needed to go on antibiotics a few months ago, I discovered Armor Colostrum and the benefits for him and his recovery from being on antibiotics have been instrumental in me now recommending this to my dairy non-sensitive patients and clients. Armor's Colostrum strengthens immunity, ignites metabolism, 
fortifies gut health, promotes hair growth and skin radiance, and powers fitness performance and recovery. My son has mentioned to me over and over again how great his gut feels, how he has improved his digestion and gut function as well. Colostrum is a rich, exclusive source of immunoglobulins or antibodies that optimize our immune defense even during cold and flu season. And we know that mucosal barriers house over 80% of our body's immune cells, including the antibodies IgG and SIG-A. And these immunoglobulins bind and intercept harmful particles like viruses, bacteria, and toxins, blocking them from crossing into the barriers into our bloodstream. And armrest colostrum contains the highest levels of SIG-A and IgG to ensure your most fortified first line of protection. It's sustainably sourced, and it's important to know that you want to mix colostrum only with cold liquids or foods or dry scoop it into your mouth. This is also great for the oral microbiome. And we've worked out a special offer for my everyday wellness community where you can receive 15% off your first order. Go to tryarmra.com slash Cynthia15 or enter Cynthia15 to get 15% off your first order. That's T-R-Y-A-R-M-R-A.com slash Cynthia15. You definitely want to check it out. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep challenges. And we know that one of many contributory reasons for poor sleep can be a reduction in specific minerals that help regulate sleep quality, including magnesium, which is involved in GABA, which is our body's main calming neurotransmitter. We also know that we need potassium to create melatonin. And this is a hormone that is a master antioxidant, but is also utilized to help induce sleep. We also think about things like zinc, which can balance excitatory neurotransmitters like glutamate. And if it's overactive, meaning if your glutamate levels are too high, it can prevent your brain from becoming more relaxed and inducing sleep. And lastly, selenium increases both our deep sleep and sleep duration. All these minerals matter a lot for sleep and any imbalances or deficits can have a major impact on the quality of sleep you get each night. And that's why I love Beam Minerals. They offer a full spectrum mineral supplement that gives you every essential mineral your body needs in the right doses, all in a highly absorbable liquid form. All you do is take a shot of beam minerals about an hour before bed. Don't worry, it tastes like water. And you'll replenish all of your body's minerals in about 30 seconds and give your brain what it needs for deep restorative sleep. I've been using this product over the last several months. I've really been impressed with the improvement in my sleep metrics, which I like to share on social media with my followers. And if you want a simple way to improve your sleep, head over to www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. That's www.bminerals.com and use code Cynthia for 20% off your first order. Still pushing endurance races pretty hard and pretty frequent. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I was doing what I thought were healthy things. I'm exercising every day. Mm -hmm. I'm eating healthy. um, But I was also probably doing things that probably weren't super beneficial. I was only getting about four hours sleep a night because I thought that was a badge of toughness, right? Yeah. So, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm tough because I only need four hours of sleep a night. So I, 
you know, work all day, I train in the morning, work all day, train in the afternoon, you know, train when I get home, eat dinner, coach my kids, you know, I'm running a business. Um, and then when do you have time to finish up work and study? Well, you do that late at night mm-hmm. and you get up at four o'clock in the morning to complete it, right? Mm-hmm. So the only way you get all that stuff in is something's got to give. And for me, sleep was the thing to give because I kind of grew up in a model where you got up early. That was just what you did. Yeah. And when you're in your 20s, you're pretty resilient. I mean, you can bounce back from stuff. You don't realize that that's having a long-term impact on your physiology. Mm-hmm. But for me, training in my 40s, like I was still 20 and still could recover as quickly, was a, was a problem. So I looked at my blood work, my fasting blood sugars in the 90s, my hemoglobin A1C is 5.6. You know, I'm pre-diabetic. I'm like, how can that be? I eat healthy, right? I exercise all the time. Then I go down and I got a bunch of inflammatory markers that are elevated. Then I look at my thyroid markers and my TPO antibodies are elevated. My reverse T3 is elevated. Like what is going on here? And the problem is I wasn't being objective with myself, Mm -hmm. right? I'm looking, telling everybody else what to do, but I wasn't objective with myself, realizing that much of what I was doing, even though I was doing a lot of things for health, I was obsessive or excessive mm-hmm. with a lot of things, not allowing for more recovery. And it doesn't mean need to be that you do everything wrong that drives immunity and chronic inflammation. I usually tell my patients, as I'm sure you tell yours, mm-hmm. you know, these things can occur because of a single episode, but in most cases, it's not one thing, it's the load. It's, it's the, the chronic, effect. Yeah, yep. it's the chronic, persistent, excessive levels of stress that eventually drive us down. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I just think, you know, given, you know, 2020 has been a heck of a year, you know, there've been multiple stressors on top of, you know, the the financial impact of, of you know, social distancing and, and other social issues that are ongoing. And, and so I, I think for many, many people, and, and it sounds like, you know, you and I were completely aligned, you know, I was over-exercising, lots of work stress, uh, not sleeping enough. And that is kind of what created this perfect storm for when I flew into a wall. That's why I would say five years ago, I flew into a wall. But I, I think one of the things that, you know, big takeaway messages for people that are listening is that we some of these things we have within our control. And so, you know, when you're working with your patients, uh, I would imagine you're spending a lot of time talking about stress management, food sensitivities, because we know there are obviously, you know, nutritional modalities that are pretty important for those that have got thyroid health issues and, you know, really like prioritizing sleep. Like my family thinks it's funny and my listeners are used to me talking about this, but I am oftentimes the first one that goes to bed in my house because sleep is that much of a priority. And if I don't get a solid seven, eight hours a night of sleep, I can feel it the next day. Maybe I wouldn't have in my 20s when I was impervious to, you know, poor sleep. And now in my 40s, it's a completely different situation. But what are some of the lifestyle things you really emphasize with these individuals that we know are inflamed, that we know, you know, have a lot of, um, you know, metabolic inflexibility? What are some of the things you really emphasize in terms of lifestyle modifications? Yeah, so it's interesting. Uh, that's the foundation of everything, most of what mm-hmm. I, I do, right? I and as um, and when I, with, the, with our book coming out, somebody looked, read the, reading the book through the book and they're like, Hey, where's all the protocols? Like what, what's all the supplement protocols that fix this stuff? I'm like, I don't want, I didn't want to put any 
supplement recommendations in there because that's what people gravitate to. Just give me the capsule mm-hmm. and the pill that yeah. I can take that will fix it. And then really the focus of the third section of our book, third part of our book is all on the lifestyle factors. We mm-hmm. call them fitness factors. So I spend a lot of time at every appointment I spend talking about one of the strategies that we want to work on for the next three to four weeks. Mm-hmm. Sleep is critical. I mean, there's so much information out there now that shows that if you get less than seven hours of, of uninterrupted sleep per night and you and it doesn't matter if you, you know, if you're, if the see quality, quantity, efficiency mm-hmm. is off, even if you're in bed for seven, eight or nine hours, mm-hmm. if those things are off, you are creating excessive stress on the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sleep becomes ulti- really, really important. And uh, I'm the same way in my house, you know, for mo- most times, um, I'm the first one to bed. And, you know, <laughs> it's a joke in my house, like, or he can't, we can't go there because dad's going to be in bed early. Now I can adapt if it's a, a party or something, but there, I, I, now I, I really protect sleep. Why I never did. It's your before. happy place. It's, yeah. It really is. And for anyone who's listening, who doesn't, I'm, I'm telling you, your life will be so much better when you start prioritizing more sleep. That's when the body recovers, right? You cannot heal from day to day if you don't get appropriate levels of sleep. And some people, I thought that you could just cheat that. I'll, I'll sleep when I'm dead, right? But the problem is I was racing and speeding up my race to dead by doing what I was doing. And I just, you just don't realize that lack of sleep is associated with increased stress hormones. Lack mm-hmm. of sleep is, in, is associated with increased inflammation. Lack of sleep is associated with increased weight gain. Lack of sleep mm-hmm. is associated with hypothyroidism. So sleep is critical and quality sleep. And today... There's so many tools and devices that you can use to help you at least evaluate and assess your sleep. Um, So I think that's critical. The next one is respiration. Mm -hmm. And this is not sexy for a lot of people, but I think it's, (laughs) I think it's, I think it is so, so important. If you don't breathe appropriately, Mm -hmm. you create hypoxia. That's a lack of oxygen getting to the cells of the body. And that is a massive stressor to the Mm -hmm. body. There's plenty of literature that shows that hypoxia induces cellular hypothyroidism or tissue hypothyroidism. So we have to breathe appropriately. And the time that most people are breathing inappropriately is guess when? When they're sleeping, right? Mm -hmm. Because when they lay down, especially they have already have some level of chronic inflammation. And when they lay down, that chronic inflammation has the tendency to accumulate, we'll say for Mm -hmm. the easy part. and now you narrow the nasal pathways, um, you open your mouth to breathe. And when you open your mouth to breathe, you start to create hypoxia. Now, how would you do that? Because patients will say, well, if I'm breathing through my mouth, I'm still getting oxygen in. The mm-hmm. problem is when you breathe through your mouth, you blow off too much carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. And when you blow off too much carbon dioxide and you don't have the right concentration to oxygen, to carbon dioxide in, inside the body, it doesn't matter how much oxygen your red blood cells are carrying because they're not going to give it up. Mm-hmm. The reason red blood cells give up oxygen, you breathe in to bring oxygen in. That binds to your red blood cells. Your red blood cells carry it around the body. And when it comes to an area that's got high concentration of carbon dioxide, the oxygen comes off, the carbon dioxide comes on, and then you take that red blood cells take the carbon dioxide to your lungs and you breathe it out. Mm-hmm. When you breathe through your mouth, you blow out too much CO2, which means you now become hypoxic. And the best way to explain that is 
when you're hyperventilating, Mm -hmm. I'm breathing in plenty of oxygen. But what happens if you do that? Within 30 seconds, most people are dizzy and lightheaded. Mm -hmm. What do we do? How do we fix it? We put a paper bag in front of their face. Why? Mm -hmm. Because we want them to breathe carbon dioxide back in. Mm -hmm. And so people at night, especially those that have inflammation, they have hypothyroidism, they have diabetes, they have any type of chronic low-grade inflammation in the body, are going to have a greater tendency to open their mouth to breathe going to create hypoxia and that's going to further weight gain, hypothyroidism, diabetes, the mm-hmm. whole, all those things are associated with disrupted sleep and what they call sleep apnea. Sleep apnea is the obstruction or, or improper breathing or decreased oxygen and, and getting to those tissues, but it could be obstructive. But why is the tissue obstructive when you're 50 and not when you're 20? Probably because you have chronic inflammation that's causing those tissues to swell. Um, but you can also have disrupted sleep just because you breathe improperly. When you're not getting oxygen to your brain, that's a danger signal. Your brain is then going to light up your ner- your sympathetic nervous system, your mm-hmm. epinephrine, norepinephrine, to say, "Hey, kick in the uh, kick in the, bre- the proper breathing response. Wake up! You're dying here, and mm-hmm. you're going to have chronic disrupted sleep." So it becomes so important to do, and rarely do people really want to work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we'll do talk about nose taping. We'll talk about mouth taping, which everybody thinks is like you're on planted, you know, uh, you know, Uranus or something mm-hmm. because you're 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 talking about taping your mouth. You you want me to do what? You want me to tape my mouth shut? Yeah, nobody cares when you're sleeping. Just put the tape <laughs> over your mouth. Nobody's looking at you. You're, nobody's kissing you in the middle of the night when you're sleeping mm-hmm. anyway. Um, but it can make a huge difference. Uh, I always talk. I try and get patients to do what we call a controlled hold breath time test, which is really kind of getting an idea of how long you can you can function in a low oxygen state before mm-hmm. panic sets in. Um, and for, for health, I'd like to see people over 40 seconds. I would say most of our metabolic patient, people that are struggling with a metabolic disorder are probably less than 20 and a lot of them under 10 seconds. Sure. So as soon as they, they're not breathing for 10 seconds, they're in panic mode, mm-hmm. right? So that, that's, that's a huge issue and huge problem. We definitely talk about proper diet and nutrition. Mm-hmm. And we could, I mean, that's probably one of the biggest problems in functional medicine is everybody arguing about the best uh, healthy diet, which I think is just insane because we're, we've circled the wagons and we shot in. We've got the carnivores arguing with the vegans, the vegans arguing with the ketos, the ketos arguing with the paleos, the paleos arguing. If we all just sat back, which is the biggest problem we have in society right now is people aren't using clear thought, right? Nope. And just said, what's, what's the main theme here? Who's our common problem? It's in, in our, in, at least in, in modern cultures, and you would say processed food is probably the biggest problem we have, right? And so veg, vegans could be totally right that a healthy whole food, you know, whole food plant-based diet could be healthy for you. Absolutely, it could be. Could a carnivore who's could it be a carnivore be healthy for somebody? Absolutely, it could be right. The big the issue isn't whole unprocessed foods. The problem is we consume just way too much processed food, and so the biggest transition I try to make I try not to get people to get too caught up in in uh, should I be keto? Should I be should I be AIP? Should I be paleo? I don't. I don't we're going to find the best one for you in this moment. And that may change in the next two to three months, what's best for you. But what we, the biggest and the simplest thing to do is let's stop putting a bunch of processed 
franken food into our bodies. That's mm-hmm. a simple thing to do. And ultimately, you know, from all the things you talk about, about intermittent fasting, mm-hmm. restricted eating, people think it's expensive. It is probably less expensive mm-hmm. to eat healthy, whole food than it is processed food because you're not as hungry. Mm-hmm. When you time restrict eat and intermittent fast, that's another thing we t- I talk to my patients about. You eat less food, you burn more fat, mm-hmm. and you're not, you do not crave carbohydrates and sugars on a regular basis, which mm-hmm. happens when you eat a lot of processed junk food. So we talk about dietary stuff. We talk about respiration. We talk about sleep. I talk about habits because habits to me define who you are. Mm-hmm. And, and people... Sometimes I get this from patients like, oh, you live a pristine life. Absolutely not. But I have a lot of healthy habits. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that healthy habits dominate my life. 80% of the time, and I tell patients the same thing, 80% of your habits should be healthy habits. And we can Mm -hmm. have an argument and discussion about what healthy means because I think that's, nobody really understands what health is, right? Mm -hmm. But if you have, if your life is dominated by healthy habits, but you have some unhealthy behaviors, I think that's per, per, I think that's perfectly fine for the average person. Matter of fact, living this pristine life can be not maybe not as fun as it is enjoying some enjoying some alcohol, eating some food that's maybe not perfectly healthy, but man, I'm in a celebration with my family at somebody's birthday. We want to celebrate with a, a cake or whatever, a pie. Great. But it does, that should not, if your fifth meal of the day is ice cream, right. that's probably a problem, right? Yeah. So what are your habits? Do you exercise every day? I don't have time. That's a cop-out to me. You have a habit of not exercising. That's what you have. Because everybody has, if, you, if it's a priority for you, you create the time. And if I took anybody who didn't have time to exercise and said, could you give me five minutes to do or 30 seconds to do some squats. Just do 30 seconds of squats for me. Could you do it right now? Yeah, I could do it. Yeah, put your phone down, turn Facebook off and, and do it, right? <laughs> and they could do it. And so what I get my patients to do who, who don't have time is I usually tell them, hey, follow what I call 20-minute fitness. Every 20 minutes, have your timer go off on your phone before you check your Instagram or Facebook, get up, do five, do 30 seconds of something right? Squats, lunges, push-ups, you know, table push-ups. I don't Mm -hmm. care. Dips, do something. Just get up and run up and down the steps a couple times. That's all you have to do. And if you did that every 20 minutes through the day, you'd be surprised at how much physical activity you added to your day and to your life. But you have to create healthy habits. It's okay to have some unhealthy behaviors depending on what they are. But (laughs) But if you're, if you have you know, and for the people who aren't sure, if you exercise like once, maybe twice a week, that's a behavior. That's not a habit. If you exercise five to six days a week, that's a habit. Like I get up in the morning, I have the same routine almost every day. I get up in the morning, I do my little prep, and then I go for my run. Mm-hmm. And then in the evening, every day, it's on my whiteboard. What exercise to do? I don't ever have to think about it. These are the mm-hmm. exercises, right? It's all written out. It is a habit. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people don't have healthy habits. They have a Very lot true. of unhealthy habits. Mm-hmm. And, they're, and they say, well, I exercise. How often do you do it? Oh, well, once a week. That's not a habit. That's a behavior. 
mm-hmm. and that's not going to do that much. Just like, hey, I have a glass of alcohol on the weekend with my family and friends. Great. That's probably not going to do a lot of damage if the rest of the week you're eating and living a pretty healthy lifestyle with lots of healthy habits. But that one day of exercise that you do once a week, that 30 minutes of, of your cardio class, that's it's good, but that's mm-hmm. not going to change your physiology and change your body probably. Um, the other thing we talk about is emotional fitness. And I think when we talk about stress, everybody gets caught up with emotion, right? It's that mm-hmm. that's the thing that we're talking about when we say stress creates health issues. Um, I don't think stress is good. I don't think stress is bad per se. Stress is, right? And so what is stress? Like it's COVID, it's I lost my job, all those things. Those are things that are external things that happen. How we internalize those things determines what that's what the impact's gonna be. Right. Mm -hmm. So what happens in the six inches between your ears is really the problem. What do you talk about on a daily basis? What do you say to yourself? We, you know, who do we talk to most in any day is ourselves for the most part. Mm -hmm. Right. Men, we don't like talking to other people. We only say about 300 words to ourselves on a daily basis. Women, it's like 3000 words to themselves Mm -hmm. on a daily basis. What are you saying to yourself? What is filling up your brain? Because people always say, well, stress it's it's you know it's it's my job it's my whatever no it's your perception of those things real bad things happen no doubt about it traumas um injuries emotional turmoil happens those things all happen but there are some people that go through those things and thrive and come back come out the other end so much better off and there's people that crumble what's the difference it's not the experience it's their internalization of that experience. And I think that is so important when it comes to getting healthy. Um, you, I'm sure you've experienced this. The person who identifies themselves as their disorder, mm-hmm. I'm a fibro. I'm, I'm a Hashimoto's patient, right? When you start identifying yourself as your disorder, you're in trouble because mm-hmm. you are going to live up to that internal thought of who you are. And so it I think that gives that disorder control. I always say you right. want to be in control. So you're you're kind of relinquishing control over that situation. And, and I think that's really critical. Yeah. And so we talk about emotions, we talk about mindset, you know, and then we talk about to some degree, we talk about genetic fitness. Like, okay, some people, some people have genetic predispositions that may predispose them to things. And so those are things that you may not be able to control genetics, but we control the epigenetics and that's all mm-hmm. the other stuff. But that's where we come in, you and me, and we kind of help someone understand, you know what, that MTH bar isn't that big of a deal for you. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it is. Or whatever other genes we want to take a look at. We talk about metabolic fitness and how important that is. We talk about physical fitness. And so there's about nine to 10 aspects of diet and lifestyle that we walk our patients through to make sure that they're doing those things and working on those and raising their level of fitness in each of those categories, because that's going to determine and and determine if they have a long-term success Mm -hmm. versus a short-term success. Well, I love that you have such a comprehensive perspective. I I think it's refreshing and, and certainly in kind of the thyroid space, there's always a need for more information. So your book is called Thyroid Debacle. When is it coming out? So we just got, uh, probably last last Friday, got a um, 
letter from our publisher, Victory Bell Publishing, that we're going to probably push it off probably to a December release mm-hmm. just because of all the craziness that's yeah. going on right now. Um, publishing publishing is, is kind of backed up because mm-hmm. of workforce. Um, and, and ultimately, uh, we're probably going to time that with the thyroid awareness month is January. So having probably a December release is probably the time. So we're in pre-order now. Um, but it looks like we're going to actually see the book come out, uh, instead of July, we're going to see it come out in December. Super exciting. So how can listeners find you? And obviously we'll want to have you back, uh, around the time that your book's coming out. Cause there are so many different avenues we can dive down talking about thyroid management. How can people find you? Well, my, they can easily find me at my website, rejuvagencenter.com. I have um, Thyroid Thursday videos you talked about. So I'm on, on uh, YouTube. Uh, it's Rejuvagen on YouTube and Vimeo. Um, I guess my biggest, I was never much of a social media person. Um, but Instagram, as much as I said probably a year and a half ago, <laughs> I would never be on Instagram. Is probably my is probably my most prolific platform right now. I try and put a lot of content out. I don't know why I resonated with it, but I think I think a lot of people um, who resonate with what I'm saying are are the Instagram crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much, you know, Facebook. I'm, I have information on Facebook, Rejuvagen Center uh, on Facebook. But probably Instagram is where I, I do most of my content posting and get most of my message out through there. So between YouTube and Instagram, I also have a podcast that you were on, which was a mm-hmm. great episode, Thyroid Answers Podcast, where we really kind of try and takes a, a deep dive onto some of the topics and subjects like intermittent fasting mm-hmm. and time-restricted eating. And that was your episode. We were talking about why this isn't a bad thing for people mm-hmm who have hypothyroidism because they've been told that if you, if you time restrict eat or fast, that's going to cause your hypothyroidism to get worse. And that's totally ridiculous uh, mm-hmm. when you understand the science of it. So uh, Thyroid Answers Podcast is probably the other place to, to, to uh, hear more content from, from me. Yeah. And all great resources. Well, it's been such a pleasure to connect with you. And I'm, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that bug finally went away. I was watching you swat it while we were talking, yeah. but thank you again for your time. And we'll definitely have to have you back on uh, around the time that your book comes out. Hey, thanks so much. And I can, if I could say one other thing, I forgot to mention the thyroiddebacle.com is thyroid debacle is the book and we're just launching the website for thyroid debacle. So there'll be more, there'll be content on there as well. Awesome. Can't wait. But thanks for, for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review. Subscribe and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals, and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic. 
And the best thing is that when used properly, the product's construction provides nonstick properties in a product that can be passed down through generations. Go to www.360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness.